Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I walk a crooked road to get where I am going. To get where I am going, I must walk a crooked road. And only when I'm looking back, I see the straight and narrow. I see the straight and narrow. When I walk a crooked road I sing a lonesome song To anyone who'll listen To anyone who'll listen I will sing my lonesome song And when I hear you singing too The sorrow sounds hopeful The sorrow sounds so hopeful When I sing my lonesome song And a lonesome song Will be my true companion when all else has abandoned for singing of their own And a lonesome song will fill my days with gladness Make joy out of sadness when I sing this lonesome song to you I love with all my heart there is no way of stopping I have no way of stopping I just love with all my heart Through the broken and the beautiful The bad news and the good news The bad news and the good news Is I love with all my heart And a loving heart Will be my true companion When all else is abandoned For loving of their own And a loving heart Fill my days with gladness Make joy out of sadness When I show this loving heart To you I 
long to be a happy man in this life that I am given. In this life that I am given, I long to be a happy man. And when the noise turns to stillness, I see I have the makings. I see I have the makings to be one happy man. And a happy man will be my true companion when all else has abandoned for happy of their own. And a happy man will fill my days with gladness, make joy out of sadness when I show this happy man to you. Road to get where I'm going, to get where I'm going, I must walk a crooked road. And only when I'm looking back, I see the straight and narrow. I see the straight and narrow when I walk a crooked road. Blackbird, but yeah, I can't do that. Beautiful. That was a what a wonderful sound. Fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Very good. Daryl Scott, how nice of you to come by. A uh, very busy day. I think on the way to uh, the Robert Elm show and then to the electric proms at the Roundhouse with the Robert Plant Band. Yeah, it's gonna. It's a, it is a big day. Fantastic. Oh, it's so nice of you to come. And playing the, the smallest guitar. <laughs> you know what? It's so tiny. It's, uh, it's Buddy Miller's guitar, and it's, he takes it to his room, so I'm on the road with Buddy as well. And I didn't have access to all my guitars with the, the Robert show. And so I was like, buddy, can I borrow your guitar? You know, his little parlor guitar. And so, um, otherwise I'd be singing a cappella, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know? a travel guitar. It's his it? travel guitar, yeah. It's, it's so small that... Portable. Yeah, and he can just take it right up, you know, and, and, and it's easy to take you into your room or whatever. And that's, So that's what this is. So thank you, Buddy Miller. So you're playing with him at the moment as well? Is yeah. He, is he in the, he's not in the Robert Plant group, is he? Yes, oh, yeah, he is, well? yeah. He's yeah. kind of our, our ringleader. Yeah. Uh, our... Band leader, producer, uh, it's kind of, it's Buddy's, really, it's, it's what he had in mind, mm. is to put this group together for Robert. And you saw them in the... It's the most fantastic group. I saw you play in a, a, a deconsecrated church in Mayfair about yeah. about six weeks ago. I think it was the launch uh, of the album. Yeah, that was a fun night. It was oh, a very short one. Wonderful. Just, it, was, it was six songs. And at the very like end, that, yeah. I wrote a, a thing about it in the, in, in the magazine, actually. That you ended with a, um, an old Jamaican uh, kind of spiritual, uh-huh. uh, which was covered by the Incredible String Band, of course, as any fool know, <laughs> uh-huh. in 1968. <laughs> and everybody sang a cappella, you know, I bid you good night. You know, yeah. just, I, I wondered if actually, apart from the, the group themselves, and two or three other people in the audience like me, I wondered how many people knew that that was a, what that song was. You know, I don't know, uh, but I can tell you this, Robert was a huge fan. Huge and, fan? And Buddy was a huge fan. Mm-hmm. Oh, I so, didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, as a matter of fact, we met, uh, and I don't, I, I'm not going to remember his last name, but Mike, one of the members, came to one of our shows. Mike Heron. Mike Heron. That's right. Was there, and, and, uh, and Buddy just couldn't get over it. 
it, you'd think he would—he just met Paul McCartney or something. <laughs> you know, I—I I, I understand. Yeah. That. it's also the um, Archbishop of Canterbury's favourite group as well. The That's what we've heard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're a good couple. having a massive revival. Yeah. A huge revival. Yeah. I know. The um, it's a—it's the most wonderful sound. Anyone who's heard this, uh, um, uh, the Band of Joy record, it's—it's it's, it's an incredibly thick textural mm. sound, isn't it? And much, but much more—it's much more subtle, I think, than the Raising Sand. It's there, there are lots of similarities. Um, obviously he doesn't have Alison Krauss on it but it feels like, to me it feels like the songs he worked on late at night after Alison had gone home, if you can imagine he was doing two albums at once and this, this is his sort of his personal stuff and there is, there is a similar he's got, who's he got doing harmonies the female singer on That's there? Patty, Patty, Patty Griffin, Griffin. yes, yeah. yeah so you have some of Just that terrific. kind of very soft uh, vocal texture, the, the female singer as well but it's, it feels a little bit more subtle than the last album which was great as well but, yeah. but what did he ask you to provide? Because it, he's got this amazing group of technicians, and it's just it's it's the most wonderful evocation of every aspect of American roots music you, you could imagine. But what what did he, did he give you an instruction when you went? You know, that's what's really interesting about the project. To me, it started very or, organically. It it didn't have a strategy. Uh, I can tell you how it was placed to me. Uh, it was and it was coming from Buddy. Buddy called and said. Daryl, uh, we have two weeks in the studio uh, with Robert Plant, and you know this may not work. So be prepared that we all get together and it doesn't work. Um, you know that it just doesn't click, or it's not the right sound for Robert. And so it was we, two weeks to record the record. Yeah, to actually make the record, not just to try and see if you gelled, as it were. No, uh, but we also knew that if you know if it wasn't working, we'd be sort of relieved in two days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and so not was there a point then within those two days where you thought, I think we're going to. It was, it, was in the first, it was in the first 15 minutes, I would say. <laughs> because fantastic. here's what happened. We were supposed to rehearse for two days and, and just sort of go through the block of songs that had been picked and just kind of, you know, sit with each other. Because we, we were all, you know, we hadn't played together. And it was really in the first 15 minutes that once we did sort of, quote, start rehearsing, that Buddy and uh, Robert just said, let's just go to our microphones and start recording that must be a wonderful feeling and so that was the that was the turning point that was like okay we're not just rehearsing mm. we're we're going to our microphones we're making a record and and then we we started i love that I, in fact led zeppelin themselves said that, that when they first played together they played a song called train kept the rolling it's an old rockabilly song we all know mm-hmm. and uh, and they realized that the group had formed by the second verse of Train Kept a Rolling. Isn't that so something? They'd only been playing together as the four of them for about uh, a minute and a half. Yeah. And they just looked at each other. Yeah, there was no spare parts yes, at all. Absolutely yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, our first tune was, uh, and it's on the record, it's called uh, Cindy. It's an old mountain song. Uh, I'll, I'll Marry You Someday. It's an yeah, old. Cindy City. It's all this. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, and that, was, that was our first, that was the first playing that we did. I, I like the way he's got sort of, he has a quite a um, broad idea of what Americana means as well because in this country it's so common to think that it's it's bluegrass or country and stuff and um, and Robert Plant's done songs on there from from quite recent rock songs hasn't he but there's one from the 90s a lovely country song um that it's it's sort of he's basically just gone through the American repertoire and picked things out regardless of whether or not they sound rootsy or not and done his own thing with them that's so right and applied a certain sound to them yeah so put the right instruments that. in with them rather than just doing the right the right repertoire yeah I think so well, yeah, we chose from... Now, some of these things Robert literally said he he had brought to uh, Led Zeppelin. I mean, this is how long some of these songs have been brewing or been carried yeah. around by by Robert. Uh, other things were old mountain songs like the Cindy. 
other things were old Chuck Berry. I mean, obscure Chuck Berry stuff. Um, a Towns Van Zant song, which was maybe one of the last ones that Towns wrote. But it was kind of, uh, Towns did it in a kind of a dirge. And, and um, this is interesting. We were doing one song, a totally different song, not a Towns song, that wasn't working and we all knew it. And yet, we, I mean, here we are recording. So at the end of it, rather than just stopping, we just all kept going because we wanted to in that that style. And then Robert started singing these Towns lyrics because he had them, I guess, in the, in his room with him. And we literally created, uh, recreated, uh, put, a, in essence, a different melody and composition to a Towns lyric based on the outtake <laughs> of a track that wasn't working. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so those kind of accidents... I mean, that's how free this, this rec recording process was. Yeah. It was like, even when you're, you know, messing around, some, we're working towards something and not even knowing that we're working mm. towards something. That's the way I always get the impression that, I suppose, American Roots music works. It just seems collaborative, you know. It, it's not necessarily somebody coming in and, and uh, giving instructions. Right, with it, some it, bright idea or yeah, some it strategy. It's fairly democratic. Yeah. It's democratic, and, yeah. and uh, you know, in the same way that, that bluegrass works, that it's someone else's turn to take the state and yeah. the spotlight. And, mm -hmm. and uh, that must be a thrilling way to work. Yeah, it is, and it's just it seems a natural way to work too. Or the the word I've been using for it is organic. Just like uh, it just happens the way it kind of falls together, as opposed to some giant strategizing entity mm. saying, "Here's how it's going to be, or else." You know, booking you for two hours and you've got to do your stuff. And then right, yeah. right. It doesn't seem to be there. Kate and I were just talking this morning about your the period in Nashville, which sounds absolutely fantastically interesting. Isn't it? Yeah, I was I was interested by. Um, you came to Nashville in the 90s, did you? So yeah. did, did you feel sort of in any way reluctant to go to Nashville originally as a oh, musician? Oh, absolutely. Uh, why That's was why that? I avoided it until mm. 92. And I guess by that time I was 33 years old. Yeah. I mean, I, I could have gone in my 20s, you know. As a matter of fact, I even lived there uh, as a teenager briefly, you know. So, I mean, I had the connection there. But I never want... Here's, here's the reason why. I never wanted to show up in Nashville until I had my thing together because mm. I had enough sense to know that Nashville has this sort of plastic. There's a side of Nashville that has a plastic sort of cookie cutter, come here and we'll make you into mm. X, Y, or Z. Yeah. It had a quality of that that I wanted to avoid at all costs. Yeah. So I wanted to show up in Nashville as a completely formed songwriter, as a completely formed um you know, and to be able to do it on your own terms, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, because you wrote, I mean, you wrote for uh, Patty Loveless and Faith Hill, Trish Yearwood, I think, and uh, Dixie Chicks. Uh huh. And uh, how did, uh, that, again, that's yeah. fascinating because a, a lot of them were, were, were girl singers, and so presumably they're coming to you and asking for for a, a lyric. And uh, in uh, in some cases, but you know, in most cases, it's funny how how this how you get songs recorded in Nashville. It's uh, there's this thing called a pitch, mm -hmm. right? We all know about pitch in. in where someone comes and says, hey, think, how about this song, you know? And and uh, I find that my songs don't get landed by pitches because that's just, it's kind of, it, my, my songs come through by the artist or someone in their camp loving the music 
and then, then recommending they, it to yeah you. in a kind of um, so is the pitch how does the pitch work yeah, does, is, that, yeah. is that say Trish Yearwood is looking for songs and the word goes out and uh-huh. four songwriters come in with suggestions <laughs> it, would be, it, it would be it like a real old Denmark Street oh really it would be 400 how does uh, the pitch go out is it is it kind of emailed out to well you know there is an company. email that goes out that says Trisha Yearwood is recording an album and she's looking for and That's then amazing. it'll it'll say you know it's exactly how movies work though they yeah, want, they want yeah. a particular exactly. song. I've got some friends who've written some soundtrack music. And yeah. They say they want uh, a, a song in a pastiche style, 1960s beat group, uh, that's three minutes 25 long, and the, and the title is this. Yeah. That uh, must be really good fun yeah. for to do that. I really would really enjoy Such to do that. Such a competition as well, everyone lobbing their efforts into the. Yeah. Into but the did ring. you get into, you know, uh, um, Trish Year with people through that pitch system, or, or no. were you above that? And I that's kind of what I was saying. Very established, weren't you? Yeah. Well, it, was, well, it wasn't so much established at that time it was more like if you're just another one of the hundreds of pitches mm. there's no standout whatsoever mm. and I gotta tell you sometimes they need help <laughs> in figuring out what to do yeah because they kind of don't know and I'm not supposed to say that <laughs> but they kind of don't know but isn't that why they're asking you if they you know I hope so. you're a technician I mean <laughs> you know you're the one to say the middle eight but I'm I, long, a, a composer friend of mine sort of got frustrated endlessly by he did advert uh, music and mm-hmm. they would send it back to him and said great just a bit more jazzy please and then th- he'd think you don't know what you mean by jazzy, so what do you expect me to do about it? They're <laughs> paying, though, aren't yeah. they? And they're paying a lot. <laughs> well, see, with my songs, I found that the way they bubbled up was not so much the pitch. It, they bubbled up when the artist just had my record and listened to it in their car and just love it and just, I got to do this song. And they, mm-hmm. so to speak, pitch it to their label or their producer and say, we got to figure out a way to do this song. You know that, and that's just, that's that's one you know then is part of them, as opposed to part of this sort of yeah. pitchy, you know, salesmanship kind of yeah. approach. You know, would you um, be able to to play a bit of one of those songs out at, like um, Long Time Gone? The one yeah, you did absolutely. For the Dixie Chicks, well, they did it. Yeah, you want me to do the whole thing or just a little blurby? Just whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. just a verse or two. Yeah, you're great. Okay, yeah. it's such a nice song.
coming back again. <laughs> What's so interesting about that is that um, obviously, if you know it as the Dixie Chicks song, and you imagine the three go- three girls singing it, but I, knowing a little bit about your biography, I mean, it, it's a very personal song, isn't it? Because you grew up on a tobacco farm. Yeah, yeah, and it's when I wrote the song, I was actually, I mean, it's definitely about my family background of tobacco farmers. Mm. But what I was actually imagining was, um, like, like in my dad's side of the family, there were thirteen children huge families uh basically you would raise the help on the farm is what you were doing mm. so uh, um so he was one of 13 and what i found in his generation was all but one moved away to get away from tobacco farming or the poor quality of i mean of economics mm. and so they would move well, this was kentucky wasn't and this was kentucky yeah, yeah. and so one of of that batch of 13 stayed and I, that was always a curiosity to me as a kid like okay so uh and was it him who'd stayed no no, no he was a wanderer yeah. but it was my aunt who stayed and so i when i wrote this song i was kind of picturing that family and that generation of they're the ones who who stayed but this one character who wants to leave which is the character in the song and he does and then actually in the next Bridgehead, I continued, he goes to Nashville to try to make it big. And then he, you know, gets his butt kicked in terms of, <laughs> you know, out in the, you know, the industry. And then he comes back to the very place he left, which was unacceptable before. Mm. Now it's okay. And so kind of a, a little Ulysses yeah. situation. But uh, um, but I was thinking of, of the one member of my dad's family who did not leave. Mm. Uh, and they were stayed in the farm area. Like is it that. strange hearing your your songs because you write quite personal songs anyway? Is it strange hearing them done by other people on a regular basis when you turn the radio on and let's yeah. it's been one of my biggest surprises because, I mean, if you picture, you know, I'd be writing a song like in a room like this, mm. uh, let's say at my house. I mean, we're except I'm alone, I'm isolated. It's just me in a room with a guitar. So if you imagine that as the original place this song happens and then suddenly it's you know a huge hit for the dixie chicks Mm. that's a huge leap and and it's been one of my most wonderful surprises is is seeing that transition because when you're writing the song i'm not thinking about the dixie chicks i'm writing the song (laughs) and if you are you're in trouble yeah if you're you're doing those pictures then you are then you're just another piece of the plastic machinery and that's not what i'm up to i want I'm writing this stuff because I want to and need to and, mm. you know, because I want to. And I got to say, I have I have sat in a room trying to write for projects. So it's not like I'm, I'm trying to paint myself as this, you know, <clears throat> creature who's above it all. Mm. Uh, I have sat down to try to do that. But here's the end result. I get the result is a song that sounds like I sat in a room trying to write a song yeah. for a pitch. Is, it, is co-writing a bit like that as well? Or? It can yeah. be. At, at co-writing at its worst can be like that. Uh, some of the worst songs I've ever been a part of were when I sat in a room with two other writers and we're trying to write for. And I've only done this once or twice. It, it didn't take me long to figure it out. Where you're trying to write a song for, you know, fill in the blank, mm. or the famous person. And what you have at the end of a session like that is a song that sounded like you sat in with a in a room 
trying to write a song for a project, <laughs> and it doesn't sound like a was real it, song. Yeah. You don't have to name names. Was it successful? The song? You oh God, no. No, it can't be successful. I was going to say because if it's successful, then it, it would put you in a no. very uh, difficult situation. Yeah. I know, but see, I guess the good news for me is that it. Any times I've tried that, no, they, we all know, we know it stinks, and so does the famous person knows that it stinks. So it's like, well, what's the point? It is a bit this, of a blessing in a funny kind yeah. of way. Yeah, and so I, I learned not to do that. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean I hadn't, have not tried it, I have. But uh, the result is always a mediocre song, and I'm not interested in, in yeah. a mediocre song if I'm aware that it's mediocre. Yes, yeah. We were watching a, a clip of you this morning, Kate, myself, and uh, um, a song where you go from... It's basically... It's, it's a country song, and then it's a blues song, and then it switches effortlessly yeah. to a tiny bit of jazz. In fact, it would be really lovely if you played a little bit in a minute. But it, it's just so interesting that, um, you know, what, uh, you know, 20 years ago, people's idea of what American Roots music was, was I think it was a lot more... A lot more limited, and uh-huh. now um, it, 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 people understand there's just a vast variety mm. of country. There is so uh, much jazz in it, jazz. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Could you play it? It was the river Yeah, let's see. Yeah. I'm going to tune here first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Let's see. Mm-hmm. 
melody. That's fantastic to see in that. You can yeah. hear, hear that little last finger you played is like a bluegrass figure, and then there's a country mm -hmm. uh, sort of uh, undercurrent to it, and then it's got this swing section, yeah. and it's also a blues. Who, who was yeah. it who yeah. first started doing that sort of the little jazzy bit in the middle? What, what kind of players started doing that first on the guitar? Is it. Um... You know, I don't know. Uh, just then, and the, what I play is ever changing. Yeah. Can, for a number of reasons. I don't know how to play the same thing. Yes. Twice, yeah. Is is probably the biggest reason. The other one, though, is mm -hmm. is I'm trying to play like what's happening and how I feel now. You know, where's my voice now? So yeah. I will adjust my voice now to what I've got as opposed to what I don't have. Or what you did last time. Or what I did yeah, last time. Yeah. And same with guitar. Uh, and so I noticed this time I did a lot of octaves. So. <laughs> And that comes from uh, Wes Montgomery. Oh, as the first yeah. I heard of it, a jazz guitarist. Yeah. I don't know how far back he goes. I know he was through the 50s. Mm. But, uh, you know. And George Benson sort of re yes, restated him yeah. a, few, uh, a few decades later. So I notice a lot of times I'll go to the octave. Part of the reason is to be louder instead of one note. Yes. Two notes. Yeah. thing I'm doing at the beginning so it's in the key of A so I've got my A string there but then here comes that octave thing so here's how I started it when something like this those are octaves so it's a threatening sound that's yeah, it's it's sinister. Sinister. it's like clouds right. over. and the A is still ringing in there so I'm playing around with these other octaves for all you guitar players. <laughs> <laughs> it's a workshop. <laughs> It's so All that wonderful. sound from such a small guitar as I well, know. it's amazing, isn't it? It's, it the, the whole thing about American Roots music, it's like, it's like Dylan, I think, is a really good ex example of this. And Dylan seems to have gone back to... Um, he went through what well, he invented a kind of folk, folk protest uh, mm -hmm. um, um, kind of uh, uh, idiom, and then there was a country music record, and then the blues records, and now there was a series of three swing records. You know, and it's as if he's gone back and mined and reworked and used every aspect of traditional American music. You know, and I, I, I'm trying to think what other. Um, you know, but people have been instrumental and events have been instrumental in keeping the whole idea of American roots music going. Oh, brother, mm. actually, probably one of them, actually. The, the movie. Was that, do you think that was a big breakthrough? It certainly wasn't this oh, It was absolutely. in this country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Now, here's the funny thing that stuff has been going along all along. Now, every once in a while, it gets a, a it big burst. the mainstream, does it? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I can tell you a guarantee that there are people who never deviated from the American roots. There, I, and I know because I go around and play festivals all over. Um, North America, and I see, you'll never sort of see it on the 6 o'clock news mm -hmm. kind of thing, but 
there are roots musics in America that have never gone away. They're always there. It's ever present. It's it's their folk music. Mm. Completely. And Kate was at a bluegrass festival, wasn't it? Yeah, I think you played there actually maybe the the following year, the Telluride Festival. Yeah, that's a great And that sort of was interesting because before I I went there, I thought I associated bluegrass with the Appalachians. And then actually there's a massive pocket of it in the middle of Colorado and lions. Yeah, and a load of of teenagers for whom this is. Yeah, Boulder is. Yeah, and they're not particularly interested in what's being played to them on uh, on national radio or anything. Well, you know what I find is there's a connection between. And it's a mountain thing, and 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 someone in you know with a, a PhD in, in you know s- anthropology. Yeah, so they could, could yeah. tell us why this is, but I guarantee there's a connection between the Appalachian folks of you know Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and the Rocky Mountains, or and and uh, there just is now mm. out in Colorado they may not be growing tobacco, mm. but they're people of the earth. They're yeah. people um, uh, who grow their own food, perhaps, or they're more they're more tied to the land, mm. and so it doesn't matter that it's Appalachia versus Rockies. Or uh, I'll, I'll go another comment too. I found that in mining, like I have this song called "You Never Leave Harlan Alive." I find that I've done that mining song, and that's from my family in Kentucky. Mm. But I guarantee you, when I've done it in Wales, <laughs> the Welsh people know about the mining too uh and or if i've done uh i've done it in colorado where it's copper mining or silver there's something about going down in the earth Mm. that is it you know they're doing that in china they're doing that everywhere so what we think of like oh a mining song a coal mining song the guys from kentucky there's a connection to that same stuff everywhere anywhere we've all sent our people down Mm. into into the earth to grab stuff. There's that, that lovely we line want. in that one about um, digging, digging your grave while you're yeah. digging coal. It's, it's yeah. the same thing because exactly. you're just going deeper and deeper into the, the life of it. Yeah. And stuff. And yeah. So I'm, I marvel at the connections that we all have. Mm. Uh, whether it's you know the Appalachians with the Rocky Mountain people yeah. who might be considered a little more hippie-ish, mm. where the uh, you know what I mean. We just come up with these terms. But they, the love of music or roots music is sitting right there in both yeah. mountain ranges, even though they're a few thousand yeah. miles apart. Um, so it's just a, it's, it's something I see because every once in a while it will blip up into you know the mainstream of "Oh brother, where art thou?" or things like that. But that what is on "Oh brother, where art thou?" never went away. It wasn't. Oh, like, of course, no, the mm. undercurrent. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. But every now and again, it's just so nice to see it get. To, Put a centre stage, you know, yeah. and mm. um, and drawing a load of people who weren't otherwise aware of it. Yeah, yeah. But look, you've got a, a cab yeah. waiting outside. Yeah. You know, and and perhaps got time to, for one pa- more perhaps to, to run that picture <laughs> up even further. Because one more track. Yeah. We don't want to keep Robert Plant and, and Robert <laughs> yeah. Elms and lots of other Robbers waiting. But it's so nice here to come and oh, play. It's just, my pleasure. Absolutely yeah. wonderful. My pleasure. Yeah, it's really nice. great. Like, I went to. Um, I'm a bit of a, a, a fan, and I went over to Genova to see you with Beppe Gambetta yeah. in May and stuff. We went that to was that. fun, so wasn't That was it? really interesting. It was a, an acoustic nights festival. A load of strings. Um, there was a, a guy called Bruce Molsky on fiddle, and there was you and Patty Griffin. Uh-huh. No, not Patty Griffin, Patty Larkin. Yes, 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 yes. And it was such an odd thing because this guy, Beppe, um, is Genova born and bred and just gets together all these bluegrass musicians once a year, and it sells out, doesn't it, three nights yeah. running. So yeah. It's really strange, but... So what are you going to play us? What are you going to, what are you going to play us? <laughs> Let's do this. There's been a bit of professional slickness here. Well, you know, I mentioned that mining 
song, so yeah. I'll, I'll do I'll do some of that. Retune here, touch. There we go. In the deep dark hills of eastern Kentucky, that's the place where I trace my bloodline, and it's there I read. On a hillside gravestone Said you will never Leave Harlan Alive Oh my granddad's dad Walked down Catterham's mountain And he asked till he held him To be his bride Said, won't you walk with me Out of the mouth of this holler Or we'll never leave Harlan alive Where the sun comes up About ten in the morning And the sun goes down About three every day And you fill your cup Whatever bitter brew you're drinking And you spend your life Just thinking of how to get away No one ever knew There was coal in them mountains Till a man from the northeast arrived He was waving them hundred dollar bills Said I'll pay you for your minerals But he never left Harlan alive Where Granny, she sold out cheap And they moved out west of Pineville To a farm where big rich land river winds And I bet they danced in the jig And they laughed and sang a new song Who said we'd never leave Harlem alive And tobacco wasn't selling And old granddad knew what he'd do to survive Well he went and dug for Harlan coal He sent the money back to granny But he never left Harlan alive Where the sun comes up About ten in the morning And the sun goes down About three every day And you fill your cup With whatever bitter brew you're drinking And you spend your life Digging coal From the bottom of your grave In the deep dark hills 
of eastern Kentucky. That's the place where I trace my bloodline. And it's there I read on a hillside gravestone. Said you will never leave Harlem alive. Oh, it's got these <laughs> echoes of um, North Country Blues by Bob Dylan here about the iron ore mine. You remember that that terrible yeah. mine that closed down the iron ore mine? And he says uh, it's, the iron ore is much cheaper down in South American towns where the miners work almost for nothing. Yeah. It's so sad. That yeah. kind of, you know, that kind of the market forces, you know, the, the right. relevance of songs like that will never go away. I love the yeah. brief moment when they sort of, you know, say, I bet they danced them a jig and they're sort of celebrating yeah. that they've got out and it lasts, yeah. you know, all of a year or something right. before they have to go back again. That was wonderful. Really good. So yeah, thank you. And, and so again, um, in Wales, they know what that song mm. is about. In, in Colorado, they know. And, Completely. Yeah, and so that's it's just one of those things that, uh, that I've noticed along the way. You're playing next week, I think, in a solo show in um, Water Rats in King's Cross. Yeah, yeah uh, November 4th. November the 4th, yeah, Thursday. Yeah. Um, so... That should be fun. Well, let's <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank come you so along. Much. My <laughs> pleasure. Thanks for having me this Thanks morning. Thanks very much. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Cheers. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Mm-hmm.